Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit TV show Shark Tank. I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an ass scene on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester. I'm the author of Unite, the four mindset shifts for senior leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author. He's got an amazing radio show. Hello there. My name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia, also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, this guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dolph is a, just an outstanding character, uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry Apjohn, one of those, AKA the strategy man. And if I'm gonna describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need from leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobsled team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co-founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Status, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Burgoff, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life, Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron. Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what 
makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. Welcome to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. Here's what I'm curious about. Free will. Can someone take it away from you in such a way that you actually never knew you were being controlled? What would it take to get deep inside someone's psyche? More importantly, has it ever been done? Do we know the difference between truth and lies? Welcome to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. I'm your host, Dove Baron. I am the Dragonist. To find out more about how you can hire me as a speaker or strategist for your organization, simply go to dovebaron.com forward slash speaking forward slash consulting, D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. This episode of Curiosity Bites is brought to you in part by the Dragon's Lair. That's our new Patreon channel. You can go over to Patreon and look for Dove Baron in there, and you'll find we have got so much great material for you, so much you can just sink your teeth into on a whole range of things, including if you're really enjoying this podcast and you really want to see the video of it, that's right there too, among other great things. All right, let's jump down on this episode. Our guest on this episode is Chase Hughes. He's the best-selling author of The Ellipsis Manual, which was originally written as a manual for intelligence operation, but has been at the top of the hypnosis category for years. He's also the author of Phrase 7, a psychological thriller about engineering an epidemic that will change the face of history. It's about a psychological plague that has no cure, and we'll talk more about it in the show. He's also an integral member of the behavior panel which uh, along his other uh, experts, body language and behavioral experts, Mark Bowden, Greg Hartley, and Scott Rouse. Fantastic show. Really encourage you to watch that. It's on YouTube, and it may be coming to a television set near you soon. Despite the fact that he only looks 23, he is the leading military intelligence behavior expert with 20 years of experience because he started when he was two, uh, of creating the most advanced behavioral skills <laughs> courses and tactics available worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me to welcome the CIA's answer to Tide Washington. Thanks, Dov. That's the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> Good. It's good to have you here, mate. I've been really looking forward to this combo. So where we like to always start is what do you presently find yourself most curious about? Right now, I am most curious about the Federal Aviation Administration because I am in the flight training process. So I'm oh. having to memorize a lot of federal regulations about airspace airspeed, engine failures, engine fires, and how not to crash a plane. So what is it about that? that what was it about uh, flying that, I mean, you know, with your background, you probably have been in a lot of airplanes and the yeah. fact that you speak all over the world. So what was it about becoming a pilot? Well, when I was younger, I was 19, and this kind of started my little Jason Bourne, esque journey right 
and I wanted to, I saw a hypnotist and I was like, oh, I want to, I want to learn how to just knock people out, so to speak, in a, in the middle of a bar or restaurant. And then uh, I watched uh, Top Gun again and he was riding his motorcycle. I said, all right, I need to go get a motorcycle license. Then I watched another spy movie and this guy stole a helicopter and I said, all right, I'm going to get helicopter training. So I went and, and did that. And this is uh, the end of my journey here. And I wanted to finally learn how to uh, operate a plane. And another reason for this is that you can fly and see clients whenever and wherever you want to. And it's a lot more convenient when you, you know, you've got your own plane. And I'm not talking about some big ass jet. I'm talking about a small little plane or something like that. It's a lot more fun. But that's wow. what got me into it. So there was, uh, so to say you were heavily influenced by movies is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> movies and cheap ass hypnotists in bars. Or <laughs> hypnotists. Yeah. Exactly. The Jason Bourne of hypnosis. So let's talk about. You know, I mean, like I said, you've got this um, amazing background and I want to go into it and I want to talk about both of your books, but let's just start about first impressions. You and I, so for people who don't know, you and I met um, February 2020 uh, in Florida, uh, actually my birthday weekend down in Florida. We were both at the speaking at the Human Hacking Conference and honestly, I didn't know you, didn't know of you, didn't know anything about you. And, and I'm pretty sure you had no idea who the hell I was. So let's talk about first impressions for a minute, because that's one of your great skills. Um, I'm totally open. What was your first impression here? Do you well, remember? We met, yeah, we met at the human hacking conference down in uh, Orlando. I think it was. It was. And we were both speaking there. And uh, for anybody who wasn't there, it was Dov getting assaulted by 50 people wanting to ask him questions. Me, I'm getting assaulted by 10 people yeah, trying to ask true, me questions. Uh, and, you know, we're both kind of looking at each other across the room like, oh, I, I don't know that guy, but I need to, I need to mm -hmm. know that guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw Dov, and the, my first, the first thing I noticed was your shoes. And Dob had some crazy shoes on, really nice, uh, crazy shoes. And uh, one of the first things Dob said to me was, uh, I'm gay just from the ankles down because of the shoes. That was perfect. <laughs> that is true. And uh, I think the, the first thing I look at with anybody from a behavioral standpoint is whether or not while we speak, your eyes move as I'm talking. And that gives me an instantaneous resonance response rate or some might say empathy, but I think there's more to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're, you were just kind of a magnetic guy and I really wanted to get to know you more. And uh, within probably 10 minutes of us meeting each other, we were competing with who could speak better fake Chinese. We were. <laughs> yes, I forgot that part. That was good. Yeah, we were. <laughs> politically incorrect, but fake Chinese. Absolutely politically incorrect, but it was fun. And uh, I've, I've been looking forward to our next conversation ever since. Yeah, me too. So, you know, that whole thing, I, I want to bring, the reason I brought it up is because I had a conversation with somebody the other day who was introducing me to someone 
And the way they were describing me, the other person was like, oh my God. Like, and I'm like, what? And they go, are you looking into my soul? You know, because people have that sense with me sometimes that I, I, because I am, I'm seeing more than what's on the surface. I'm seeing subtext a lot. And sometimes that's uh, micro cues or body cues or language patterns or whatever it is. Um, but mostly it's what they don't notice. Um, and a lot of the time I'm just not noticing, meaning I'm not there to do that. I'm just there to have a combo. Do you bump into that? Do you have that thing where people are like, oh, you know, is he, is he looking at me? Is he reading my mind? Do you get that? Every time I meet somebody. Do you really? And it's not on all the time. Uh, no. Granted, I will still, if, if there's something that's out, like an outlier behavior, I, I'm not looking for it, but I pick it up automatically and it becomes a little data point for that conversation. Absolutely. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, I have the same thing. It's like, I'm not looking for it, but there are some things that just come up and slap me in the face and I can't really ignore that. But I'm also not really looking for any more than that because I'm in a conversation. I'm not in an analysis. Yeah. And that, that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because um, there are certain things that I actually, I don't know about you, but I actually choose not to notice. I just, like, it's okay. It's fine. It's not in my business, right? Uh, one of my great teachers, uh, Bishop William Todd, said to me one day, we were talking about something, and, and, and he was telling me a story about somebody had asked him a question, and he was a psychologist. And he said, uh, this was at a social event. Somebody asked him a question. And he said, um, I'm not discussing that. And the person said, why? He goes, people pay me for that question. And what it was really saying is, I'm not here to be on business. I'm here to have a conversation. Yeah. I'm here just to play, you know? And, and yeah. I, th I thought that was a really great understanding. Yeah. And it's like you meet somebody at a bar and they said, oh, I'm a, I'm a physician. And, and your first question is, oh, great to meet you. Can you look at this mole back here and then start taking <laughs> yeah. your shirt off? That's not, he's not there for that. <laughs> and, you, and you know it's inappropriate. Yeah. So why don't they know that with what we're doing? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I'm going to tell you, Chase, that when I met you, as I said, I, I didn't know who you were. Um, and I felt drawn to you. I also had that pull. And there was a playfulness between us, which is always wonderful. Um, and I was really quite genuinely blown away by your credentials, which are freaking insane. Um, on top of that, though, was, you know, you're very accessible. You're very easy to talk to. And then, I, you know, afterwards, I went away and like, oh, who is Chase? And just, you know, did, did some looking at who he was. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, this guy is, I mean, like I said, you look 22, right? And the fact that you got 20 years of experience, I'm not joking. I mean, I'm dead serious, right? Um, so it's, it's fascinating to me all the things you've done. And I'll be honest with you. I love this show. I love doing Curiosity Bites because I get to talk about things in such a wide range and I have such a wide range of curiosity about so many different things. I can talk about a lot of different things and I love to do that. It's very rare, and I've had quantum physicists and neuroscientists and all kinds of things on there. Yeah. Very rare that I feel like, yeah, I might be out of my depth on this one. I gotta tell you, mate, I was feeling that way. <laughs> First time, feeling like I might be out of my depth on this one. 
This this lad's a, this lad's got some some big balls. He's like way out there. So so you're playing with a lot of the big boys. I mean, like you were just telling me, and I don't know whether you can share the stuff that's going on with the, with TV and all those kind of things. Can you share any of that? Is that okay? Are you on the? Yeah, I mean, uh, the behavior panel may become a, a television series in the future. Right. So the behavior panel, as I said at the, in the intro, is a YouTube channel. You can go see it and where Chase and three other guys, they come together and they examine speeches or presentations that have been done. And they tell you what the indicators are of truth and lies. Now, it's interesting because I've actually pushed that show to many other people and said, you know, you should go see this and always get the same response. They all say, oh, my God, it was so really interesting but why didn't they come to a conclusion every one of them everybody i know is frustrated that you didn't say you know 80 percent of what he said was true 20 percent was just bullshit or the other way around or whatever it is and tell us why you guys don't do that well we we finish every episode with that now oh do you okay yes i think the last eight episodes we did our final wrap-up is a percentage of truth and lie. Ah, okay. And then an opinion. Very good. Very good. So of all those that you've done, because you've how many have you done now so far? Uh, it's got to be 15, probably 20 okay. episodes. So Which of the ones you've done right now, is there anyone that really stands out? The favorite one that I did was where we did a Netflix analysis of these people who saw a UFO. Oh yeah. And then a guy from the Netflix show Unsolved Mysteries sends all of us an email. And he said, I saw the UFO. I will come on your show and you can interrogate me. I will sign a video release no matter what your opinion is. You can wow. interrogate me live on the air. And we were, we were all talking about it. And we said, this guy's either crazy, stupid, or telling the truth. I mean, you're facing four interrogators, four, maybe yeah. the best. I don't want to say the best, but four. Yeah, the best. Come on. Interrogators. You guys are all top of the game. It's pretty amazing, right? That yeah. guy's got some large kahunas to do that. Yeah. Yeah, over a Zoom call with recording in progress, and he knows it's going to be public. So uh, we got to, we got to talk to him, and that was my favorite because most of what we do, we're analyzing the video, and as interrogators, we're we're watching these news people interview people, and we're always thinking like, God, it's such a stupid question. Mm -hmm. Because we know how to navigate the, the conversation in a way to make the confession eventually just pop out. Right. And the interviewers don't necessarily do that. I think there should be a news interviewer interrogation training to where it doesn't feel like an interrogation. And they can use those techniques. But that's what's most frustrating. So we got to kind of dive out of the analysis box and actually do the questioning. And that was my that's favorite. Very cool. Very cool. So... You know, you bring me into a subject that I was going to bring up later on, but I think it's an interesting one, which is truth versus lies. 
um, and I get asked this a lot with what I do um, with the behavioral stuff um, and people say, you know, is he telling the truth or is he lying? And my answer is, you know, and I use this example and the answer example is Donald Trump. Not always, but in certain sections. And some will say, well, you know, isn't it obvious he's lying? And I say, listen, if you went and you put a, um, I've just come, I'm just having a cranial, I'm having some cranial flatulence. I'm having a brain fart. Um, um, electric, uh, they're not used anymore for, for telling the truth. What are they called? A polygraph. Polygraph, thank you. Brain fart, right. You put a polygraph on him and I said, I guarantee you he'd be telling the truth. I know he's lying, but I guarantee you'd be telling the truth. And they go, well, how does that work? And the, the simplicity of it is, and, and I want you to jump in on this, is that if you're lying, but you believe the lie, it's true as far as a polygraph goes. And that is where the, the challenges and where the high level skills like yours and Mark's and the other guys are, is in that even if they believe it. So talk to us about that truth versus lies that I talked about at the beginning. Um, and when the truth is a lie and when the lie is a truth. Mm -hmm. All right, so I'll give you a quick master class on all Thank of you. This, really quick. Yeah. There is no such thing as deceptive behavior. It does not exist. The polygraph measures stress. A body language analyst is measuring stress. So what we're doing when someone's just analyzing behavior and they say this is likely deception here is because of a stress spike. Yes. We have this level of behavior and then we have a spike in other behaviors during the answering of a particular question. Mm -hmm. So that's from a behavioral perspective. I've got a baseline and something's different. So we're in the business of change detection right. in all of this. So where it gets into the interrogation side is I know how to make them relaxed and then ask a very pointed question on whether or not something occurred or they saw something. And then I'm not just looking at behavior. I'm looking at word choices. Mm -hmm. So if a person's being deceptive, they're going to use less uh, verbs. Or I'm sorry, they'll be using more verbs more than verbs. someone who's telling the truth. So if I'm, if I'm telling you that my dad died, I'm not, and it's true, if it, if it were true, my dad's not dead, but if it right. were true, I would say, I remember when my dad died and we all had to schedule this funeral. I'm not necessarily going to detail out how it felt. The sadness is implicit in the story. But if I'm making something up as I'm telling it to you, I'm having to relive and ask myself little questions like, how would I have felt? Mm -hmm. How would that experience have been? And those details make it into the story. So there's a lot of different word choice things there, but that's a good one that people can kind of grab onto. Yeah. Also uniqueness of words. If they reuse words, we won't count those words. It's still one word. Even if you say it 30 times, it's still one word. Mm. So truthful statements have more unique quality of words to them. And these are in a, in a fabulous book by Dr. James Pennebaker called The Secret Life of Pronouns. And I swear to you, it's one of the coolest books I've read in a very long time. 
in an audio version. It's great for those days when you're like vacuuming and doing dishes and, and driving. That's the, the really cool audio book for that exact purpose. The Secret Life of Pronouns. Wow, I don't, I don't, I've never even heard of that. That's very cool. So, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I know for sure that when people are lying, they like to add too many details and it becomes a little flowery oftentimes. Yeah. Um, and they will also use um, words that make it, whatever it is, more important. So they'll, you know, like the things like very, very, the most, the biggest, you know, hmm, okay, that's a clue. Uh, so it's, 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 it's all very fascinating. But there's also, you know, because, you know, you, you and I both have background in, in hypnosis. There's also the thing of when somebody's in a, in, in a, in a particular state, uh, whether that's an alpha state or a theta state, and we can get them down to that, when they're in that state is what's revealed and what's released. And what you do is, you know, you were talking about before about interrogation. You, one of the things you were talking about earlier was this ability to make somebody relax, get them down to their baseline, and then throw in something that creates the spike in a change in behavior. Because as you said, there's no deception um, behavior, there's normal behavior, and then the, the, then the spike of stress. So we are stressed when we're lying, right? Most of if us. You're, mo if you're not a sociopath, okay? Most of yeah. us, right? Well, so even the sociopaths can get stressed if you frame it the right way. Oh, like okay. lots of people are going to listen to this recording. So think carefully about how you ask this question or how you answer this question. So mm. that makes them know that their reputation is on the line. Mm. So we increase the stakes using different things for different people. That's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't think about that. That's really fascinating. Now, like I said, let's just, if, if it's okay, let's talk a little bit about your, your background and how you came up. I mean, I, I don't want to spend, I know you've probably gone over that a million times in different interviews and it's probably a bit boring for you, but for everybody else, give us a sort of walk through that, that process because it is a pretty fascinating journey. Well, thanks. I'll give you, I'll give you a cliff notes edition. Sure. I was a, uh, for, for all intents and purposes, I was a high school dropout. I, uh, I speak Spanish and I failed it in high school. That's how, how much I cared about my work. <laughs> I actually failed it. Well, now, a quick question. Do you speak Spanish or do you speak fake Spanish? I speak real <laughs> Spanish. I speak Mexican Spanish. Okay, just wanted to check because I know, you know, the Chinese thing you know, could be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I... Uh, 17 is my senior year. I tested out of high school um, in a shady testing area, testing facility. <laughs> I went to a uh, military recruiter and uh, joined the Navy. My first job in the Navy was scraping rust off of the side of ships. It sucked big time. I guess. And uh, I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And uh, I was 19 years old. I'd been in the Navy for two years already. I turned 18 on my first deployment. And uh, a master chief 
uh, in the Navy is a big, big deal, especially mm-hmm. to a young kid, you know, young sailors. The Master Chief is a big freaking deal. Mm-hmm. We had a Master Chief that retired uh, on my ship. I was on a guided missile destroyer in Pearl Harbor. And, you know, he was, nobody talked to the Master Chief. He was super important. Nobody questioned him. And I went back in the day, there was a, a store called Circuit City. They're all oh, yeah. closed now. And they had that slogan where service is state of the art. Mm-hmm. I walk into Circuit City to get a new album that just come out. And the Master Chief, who had just retired, was in there organizing CDs as an employee of the store. Oh, my God. I thought, surely. And Master Chief is an enlisted rank. And I thought, surely this guy, you know, a Master Chief, he's going to get out and be the CEO of Southwest Airlines or which, I mean, you don't even have to have a degree to be a master chief. But, it, I mean, it doesn't occur in our head that that's the thing. But he was wearing a cap that said U.S. Navy veteran. And I assumed he wore that to show other people that he had done 20 years in the Navy. Or Navy retired is what it said. Right. And I, I lost sleep that night. And I said, I will never, ever let the military be the greatest thing to ever happen to me the one thing I can brag about is that I was in the military and it scared me that, that I might suffer a similar fate. And I, I stopped partying. I stopped drinking with friends. I stopped all of that stuff. I started going to college. I got a bachelor's degree, got a graduate degree there in Hawaii and started studying psychology from the age of around 20 mostly because a girl turned me down and I typed into Google how to tell when girls like you the actual that's the actual phrase I used because I didn't know and I got obsessed with human behavior and profiling and the, the further I was able to see behind the curtain of other people all the stuff that people keep private is actually very public but only mm-hmm. to a few people uh, it helped me overcome some social anxiety that I didn't know I had And once I figured out everybody, oh, I'm not the only one who's screwed up. I'm not Mm -hmm. the only one who hides, who hides shame from other people. It's, it's universal. It's every human you'll ever meet is insecure, suffering and wearing a mask. It's a, it's a universal thing. And I had no idea. So I never felt superior to anybody. It just felt like, oh, that person screwed up too. Mm Mm-hmm. So it became addicting because of that. And I started working intelligence operations midway through. I became the captain of like a spy assault boat. Can I pause and- you there? Because you've taken a jump. And so we've got you scraping rust. We've got you seeing uh, the, the, the commander at Circuit City. We've then got you realizing, oh, shit, I don't want that. You go to college, you learn psychology, you become fascinated with it, you develop into that, and now suddenly you're, hold on, there was a big jump there. We don't know how that happened. In, in between, I worked in something that resembles a prison. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> that belongs to the military. <laughs> it's in Cuba, or just off Cuba? It's uh, somewhere. Somewhere, it's somewhere, yeah. sure, we got it. And 
So working all that stuff, and I worked under the NECC, Navy Expeditionary Combat Command, and then in the IC, Naval Expeditionary Intelligence Command. And that's where I kind of got my feet wet and that rode out my the rest of my 20-year career. And just as a fun fact, for a three-year time period in there, I was in charge of the entire East Coast U.S. Navy's underwater robotics, where we would go find lost things at the bottom of the ocean, which was a lot of fun. Really? Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Is that a sidebar? I mean, is that because you were in intelligence, right? Yeah. So I took, uh, uh, this may or may not be an intelligence job as well, but if a plane crashes, yeah. uh, like like an F-16 fighter jet, when they crash into the ocean, nine times out of 10, they lawn, they dive in like a lawn dart into the ocean floor. Right. So it makes them really hard to find with sonar. Right. You have a low profile signature. If it's laying yeah. on it flat, it gives a better, yeah, uh, of course. a better echo. So we're going out and finding these jets and stuff with, uh, autonomous robots that have no cables you just throw this yeah. thing in the water and it does its job and comes wow. back and gives you all the pictures and stuff it's really cool it's called a hydroid h-y-d-r-o-i-d hydroid yeah. and uh that was a lot of fun that was my most fun thing That's and then very I, cool. towards the end i noticed that all the training for our intelligence people was substandard and you would be very surprised to learn that a lot of our even the human intelligence people, the maximum level their training really gets is Dale Carnegie at best. And really? Yeah. I thought this needs to be like, if we've gone from rotary telephones to iPhones in less than a hundred years, why haven't we done the same with persuasion and influence? So I made it, I made that my life's work is to develop that stuff that would enable you to, talk somebody into committing treason because that's what our intelligence officers do. That is really quite fascinating because I think that we have this idea that it's very high level or was very high level uh, and clearly not. Um, so confronting that must have been enormously challenging. Um, and and I we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk to you about how did you, you know, because we have this idea, a command and control idea, particularly in the military. And if you're not at the level where you can say, listen, I'm in charge, so we're going to change all this, but I'm in the rank of whatever it is. And there are people way above me who are saying, no, we're going to continue with Dale Carnegie, but I've got, but you've got better ideas. Shut up and wait 10 more years. And then you'll have a bit more power and you can say something. So we want to talk about that when we come back. Um, I, this is, we're coming towards the end of this particular portion, uh, uh, part one of my interview with Chase Hughes, uh, a fascinating, fascinating guy, author of two amazing books. He's on the behavior panel and a lot more. We're going to be back in just a few minutes. So make sure you stay tuned and come back curious. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious. We'll see you on part two.